Uh, I really want to welcome all of you to another event organized by the Middle Eastern Center. And I, I never say I never say anything about the Middle Eastern Center. But because of tonight's special event, I want to say a few words about who we are. Uh, as you all know, we were established two years ago, almost over two years ago. Uh, and really, one of our major goals has been to promote and advance critical debates on state and society in the Arab world and the Middle East. I'm not suggesting um, a, a very, in a very humble way, uh, expand the parameters of the debate. And to do so, uh, we have made a conscious decision uh, not to invite politicians and diplomats. We have not invited a single politician and diplomats in the last two years. We have, we have decided, and this is not because we, we can, but we have, we have decided to invite critics and scholars and writers who really do research uh, uh, on the Middle East from the inside out as opposed to the outside in, uh, and basically who challenge what we think is the dominant narrative uh, uh, in the region. Here and there, it's not just in the West, remember. Uh, there are much more, many more challenges in that part of the world about the dominant narrative. And I think the reason why I, I say what I say, because I think it's in the spirit that tonight's event uh, is really organized, and I'm delighted uh, to invite, uh, to uh, introduce uh, tonight's speaker, uh, Dr. Fawaz uh, Tarabulsi, who is a critic uh, and academic and also a public intellectual, one of the leading public intellectuals uh, in the Arab world. Uh, Fawaz is a professor of history and political science at the Lebanese American University and the American University uh, in Beirut. He has been a visiting professor at New York University, Columbia University, at Cairo University, and my own school at St. Anthony's College, Oxford. So uh, even though he has spent many years in the West, Fawaz is one of my, myself at my respect for Fawaz that he has lived most of his life in the region, uh, a, uh, fighting and battling uh, progressive causes in the region. Uh, Fawaz is one of the voices that he has never changed his color. He remains a, what I call a progressive Democrat. And that's a testament to his uh, fiber uh, and intellectual uh, depth. Uh, again, I, I don't really have the time, because I, I know our time is very precious, to uh, elaborate on uh, how prolific he has been. Uh, uh, his most recent book is called uh, A Modern History of Lebanon. was published uh, last year. And this is tonight's lecture is um, on Lebanon. This is the topic of his, his lecture tonight. What's really important about A Modern History of Lebanon is that Fawaz not only provide a synthesis of the modern history of Lebanon, but also a critical reinterpretation of the history. And what's fascinating about the book itself is that he also talks about the challenges and the complexity that he faced in writing the history of Lebanon, as a Lebanese in particular, uh, um, as a Lebanese who's living in a jungle of sectarianism uh, and communalism uh, in Lebanon, uh, as, as you all know. Uh, in contrast to many of us who work on purely academic topics, uh, historical topics, political science. I think uh, Fawaz has also been, has written extensively on what I call popular culture and uh, also counterculture. Uh, one of my favorite uh, books by Fawaz is called Fayrouz and the Rahabina. Um, I don't need to tell you about Fayrouz, a cultural icon 
uh, in Lebanon and the Arab world. And that's really, if you have the time, has it been translated or? He's also, as you all know, and I said that he's not just a critic and academic, he's also a public intellectual and a commentator. He writes a weekly column at the Safir newspaper uh, uh, in Arabic. And he's also uh, the editor of a, uh, a magazine, a quarterly magazine called Al Bidayat uh, Beginnings, which was uh, launched uh, last year. Um, I mean, we're trying very much to promote Al Bidayat, the beginnings. Uh, so I hope some of you who speak Arabic, who read Arabic, uh, you subscribe to Al Bidayat. Uh, I think this would be a wonderful way to. to uh, see and read what's been written by um, Arab scholars and critics in that part of the world. Uh, today he will speak on the history of Lebanon revisited. On Wednesday he's going to give a talk on the Arab uprising, the popular uprisings. Um, and as I understand, he's speaking tomorrow uh, at Sawas University on a similar topic. Uh, please join me in welcoming Fawaz Taragulusi to the London School of Economics. Okay, good evening. <clears throat> I would like to thank Fawaz Jirjis for this invitation and for his kind words, and of course, thank the Middle East Center at LSE, and thank you for joining me this evening. I can't not tell you when was the last time I was at LSE. It was during the British Spring of 1968, and we, the nasty students of SOAS, had participated in the occupation of LSE. So I don't know if that, that Sami Zubaydah gives me honors or should put me in prison, but that's a fact. Now, I always like to, to, to start when I talk about history with an Arab proverb that took me years to discover. And it is the following. It says, in Arabic, then I'll translate, it says, Al-Nasu bi-zamanihim ashbahu minhu bi-abaihim. People resemble their times more than they resemble their fathers. I think that's one of the possible blasts against Orientalism, uh, patrimonialism, patriarchal society, what have you. At least, at least we have something to hold on to, which is uh, a very good uh, <coughs> definition of what history is about. History is about time. 
and what time does to people. <clears throat> I, came, I came to history from political science and I came to history from the war. So <clears throat> and I'm a, uh, let's call a newborn historian. I wasn't a historian by any discipline. I became a historian. And if that's of any use, but at least I'd like to say that it was mainly the Lebanese wars that pushed me into uh, moving from, let's call political sociology, political science, international relations to, uh, to history. <coughs> so the book, the book in question was initially meant to be a follow-up of uh, a number of works which were all based on the idea of how to express a civil war. So I've written about the war in terms of diaries. I've written in terms of <coughs> political thought. Uh, I've written in art and politics, a, a book about Guernica and Beirut, a comparison between Lebanon at war, Beirut at war, and the mural of Picasso, which is also a study about telling the Lebanese the story of a similar uh, <clears throat> war. And with time, I discovered that the science of all sciences uh, is history. And uh, one, one should answer the challenge of exactly revisiting uh, the history of, uh, of Lebanon. So the book, the book was initially meant or was mainly a pretext to write a history of the 1975-1990 wars, because there are wars, uh, and going back a little bit, ending up with producing a history of Lebanon. Now, of course, that was an interest in itself, because since 1965, nobody had written a comprehensive history of Lebanon. 1965 was Kamal Salibi's A Modern History of Lebanon, which of course is a pioneering and excellent work, but very much limited with what we know about Lebanon. Uh, then, of course, Salibi, the late Salibi, uh, <coughs> in the 80s produced a critique of Lebanese uh, historiography, a real revisiting of uh, the history of Lebanon, but put it in forms of uh, separate chapters, did not write uh, a, a, a book of history or a history book. Now, having said that, <clears throat> One of, one of the main problems when we talk about time is that history is about continuity and change, continuity and breaks. And the, 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 immediate, thing, the immediate thing to uh, discover is that myths are always in history are always related to the idea of continuity, of essences. And if I were just to give a personal testimony, I think history has taught me 
and because writing history became a, a way of learning, has taught me that there are no essences. There is no human essence, and there are no everlasting essences. Uh, of course, there are continuities and changes, but the worst thing I yani, receive from readers is to tell me, we read your book, and what we're witnessing now is the same as you're talking about in the 19th century. It is not. It is not. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, anyway, one of the main tasks of a historian is to make, to make the difference between where is continuity and where changes have met. And I, that's one of the main uh, challenges, if you want, in writing the history of any history, but in especially the history of Lebanon, which is full of uh, myths of origin, which is full of myths of origin and which is full of myths of what people like to uh, call founding myths. So yani, there is this idea that if you can create a semi-lie about something that happened in history, it will unite people around it. Yani, it's been tried more than once in Lebanon. It divided people. Yani, Phoenicia does not unite people. Yani, <coughs> Amir Fakhreddin does not unite people, etc. So this attempt to and uh, create myths of origin, uh, at least in the Lebanese case, was not a very successful one, but it created uh, a number of stereotypes uh, for, for looking at Lebanese history which needed to be debunked. Now, I should say that the great <coughs> service that was done to any history of Lebanon was the fact that the war itself, the 75-90 war, uh, produced an enormous amount of historical, economic, political, cultural, sociological production on the war. I would definitely say that all this, all this could have been and should have, should have been <coughs> incorporated in any, in any real history. So, if I were to uh, de define my choices, the first choice was to say history <coughs> has been written as the history of politics and the history of rulers. Most of Lebanese history is political history, history from above. Uh, <coughs> what it lacks, if you want academically, is a discipline, it lacks political history, political economy, sorry, it lacks sociology, it lacks <coughs> uh, social movement, it lacks an attempt to periodize at least yani, the, the important period I was interested in, which is the 19th century to the 19th, 20th century. How do we <coughs> decide what should be highlighted and what is less important. Since history is about causality, uh, <coughs> since history is about interpretation, one of the important tasks was <coughs> to decide what are the moments that, uh, of change. What are the moments of change? What are, 
where do things break? <coughs> Definitely in the history of Lebanon, uh, as in any, you have, you have, you have, for example, the collapse of the tax, tax forming system, uh, tax farming system, what we call the Mokataji order, in the mid 19th century, uh, which, which uh, uh, came about through a number of popular movements and a number of uh, civil disorders ending in the famous or infamous uh, war of 1860-1861. Strangely enough, since I'm using this uh, case, that, I mean, if you look at the production on Lebanon, on the history of Lebanon, before, before the last war, before the last civil war, you'll be surprised at how much literature there is on this period. Innumerable uh, literature. Uh, one of the big problems was <coughs> to revisit this phase. So is it only massacres, which is what uh, hundreds of documents say, or were there wars? So one of the uh, very difficult things that one had to do, not completed, was to reconstruct who attacked whom and uh, <coughs> what is the military history of a minor, tiny civil war of 1860 and uh, uh, on the basis of a lot of documents that existed but which have nothing to do with the mainly French Orientalist do, do, uh, dominated <coughs> uh, production on, on that uh, period. So just to tell you, a lot of the uh, critical work of a historian is always to yani, <coughs> first work on what I call historical facts. There are historical facts. I mean, now, of course, with postmodernism, <coughs> everything gets confused, and yani, there are only discourses. But how do you judge discourses? I mean, is my discourse the same as yours because it's a discourse? Or is there one way at least, one means, one set of criteria by which I can discriminate between one dis discourse and the uh, other? Now, having said that, <coughs> uh, I don't want to go definitely into, uh, uh, into this polemics, into this discussion, but... <coughs> Also, a historian is somebody who can characterize some of the uh, main aspects of the life of a people or the history of a people. Of course, uh, <clears throat> there are many peculiarities about writing the history of Lebanon. The first is that the Lebanon we know, the Lebanon created in 1920, did not exist in history. So, uh, chunks of Lebanon have different histories because they belong to different regions. That's one, one thing. So what is the history of Lebanon? Until now, the history of Lebanon had been either the history of Mount Lebanon 
or the history of the Lebanese state, and both do not amount to يعني, this, this uh, space that يعني, was called Greater Lebanon and to which يعني, uh, a population belonged. So, at least the first obvious thing that you cannot write the history of Lebanon without putting it in the context of the history of the region. Let's say يعني, Greater Syria, let's say the Arab East, whatever you want to, to call it. That's one thing. On the other hand, <coughs> you need microhistory to reconstitute <coughs> a, lot, a lot of يعني, the history of the regions that were annexed to Lebanon, to Mount Lebanon in 1920. A few, not very much mentioned Of this, of of the people, came from the hinterland, came from inside. Uh, second, there are there are movements of religious conversion, very much يعني, uh, underestimated, though they're huge, and we have uh, in the history of this uh, country where the population usually came either through the south or through northern Syria and moved from north to south. The third characteristic which will, will, will affect uh, modern Lebanon is what I call the contradictory social locations of Lebanon's sects. So a sect is formed in this case in the Muqataji regime of Lebanon where the commoners in their majority were Christians and the rulers and the manasib as they were called, the orders were Druze and were revolts of anti-tax revolts or peasant revolts in some parts of the country were necessarily revolts between Christian commoners and Druze overlords. Hence, the, the, what we call the sectarian system started as this contradictory location between rulers and ruled, between, between those who control the economy and those uh, who do not, or those who are influential in the economy, but not politically, because commoners in the sense does not include the poor people only. A, com a, a rich merchant in Dar al-Amr or Zahli was a commoner. And uh, the, the, the overlord would be indebted to him, but yet yani, political power was not, was not granted uh, to him. Now, <coughs> that, that uh, led, me, led me, of course, to <coughs> rethink what sectarianism is, uh, on a totally different basis, which I'd like to share with you in a minute, after some time. So, what, <coughs> what was necessary, and which is still necessary, is that this country, like any other country, uh, <coughs> has a political history, but it also has an economic history, it has a cultural history, it has a social history. 
and it is people who made that history that we should study, and those are definitely not six or seven rulers. Uh, that's one, one obvious thing, but that's not obvious at all once you start looking into those subterranean movements that made, that made uh, the country. So the, the, other, the other thing is that <coughs> this country is a modern country, is a relatively modern in the sense that it has been produced in 1920. So one of the main challenges and one of the main needs to be debunk myths is to, declare, is to work into how did Lebanese come about. Uh, <coughs> and that has very little to do once you start working on what makes history, which means documents, first hand reports, etc., very little to do with what we know. For example, we don't have proofs that the Christians wanted greater Lebanon. Though yani, it's, it's, discuss, it's discussed as if it's ipso facto, greater Lebanon was created for the Christians. A good section of the Christians thought it was too big for them, and modern Lebanon uh, Greater Lebanon had a uh, equality, a parity in numbers between Christians and Muslims. Uh, and uh, Emil Iddi had, had this theory since 1938 that we should have a middle Lebanon. The other thing is that <coughs> we don't know, apart from the bourgeoisie of the literal, anybody really interested in uh, what was called a Greater Lebanon. You had people who wanted Mount Lebanon as uh, a French uh, dom-tom, as a French department, and the Druzes in it should learn French or leave the country. So, I mean, you are to, once, you, once you're, you're into real history, I think you <coughs> you're necessarily have to explain in which conditions the country was uh, made. And, uh, of course, Another thing, Albert Horani, <coughs> the late Albert Horani, the great Albert Horani, called this Lebanon the Merchant Republic. I mean, merchants, we don't talk about merchants, despite the fact that there is a historian who says, this is a republic made for merchants. So, where are the merchants in Lebanon's history? So that has يعني, pushed me to try and write a history of the economically dominant classes of the country. That's a very any, <coughs> small contribution. I plan to spend as much time as possible on this. But <coughs> we know now that some 10 to 30 uh, families took over economic power with Bshar al-Khuri in the 1940s and they constituted, they, they radically changed the structure of the Lebanese economy from a productive structure to a merchant, uh, to a third sector, to a tertiary sector. Those were, willi those were conscious uh, decisions, those were conscious legislations, and uh, we have the record of them. So the Lebanese were not born from, from Phoenician times as traders they became. Of course, that's nothing to do with being one, but I mean, at least for historians, uh, 
you can't tell me that there's a long tradition which is 60, which is seven, uh, 6,000 years old uh, <clears throat> without, without, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> without a break. Now, two, two last things. I don't know how much time I have. <clears throat> two, two, to, to come to the war, I mean, the, the main reason for initially any, writing the, uh, the war. The first thing <clears throat> is, of course, any, to take upon yourself the challenge of writing about the whole period, 75 till 90. At that time, when I was writing the book, you did not have such books. The late Samir Asir had attempted uh, <clears throat> a book which, will, which ends in 82. So my idea was to go to the end. That's one. Before that, very little production exists on the period 64-70. And this is the period which at least throws a lot of light on why the war happened, especially in the light of the fact that 64 to 74 were dominated by social movements, and then suddenly you have a sectarian war. At least, at least a chapter, a long chapter, is to try and explain this shift. How do you shift from the social to the sectarian, and why? Now, also concerning the war, the, the first challenge was uh, how do you periodize a war? And at least the, cho the, the choice I took was to, to use two criteria. The first is uh, what is the major event that might constitute a break in the war? Well, that was easy to find, and I think that was still legitimate what I did. 1976, Syrian military intervention made a break in what used to be called the Two Years' War. Uh, 1982, the Israeli invasion, made a break in <coughs> the period between the two wars. And, of course, the Ta'if Agreement uh, put an end, theoretically, to the, uh, to the war. Uh, that is not obvious. I mean, now it might look uh, obvious, but anyway, uh, the other criteria, which I think criterion, which I think is more important, more relevant, is <clears throat> what were the Lebanese fighting about? I mean, uh, in Lebanon, when you talk about the war, you're talking about a big black hole uh, <clears throat> where where you know details of violence, and you make theories about the need for collective. Memory, we can talk about that later. The, the, important, the important thing is if war is a great turbulence in the history of a people, so it, must, it should have any very radical causes to get people to kill each other. Unless you believe in the dominant uh, amnesia that is imposed on the Lebanese, and that is that the Lebanese, that the wars are the wars of others, 
order the war for others, which, which is a very يعني, uh, widely spread and widely uh, nourished belief, <coughs> which of course serves the يعني, post-war leaders who were the ones who led the war. But anyway, uh, the, the important thing is that <coughs> A historian has to answer questions about why, what are the causes of the war. He has to answer questions, does this war have a logic? Is there an order in this war? And I think there was. Uh, one of the orders is to try and reveal what were the Lebanese fighting about, how they, how they invited outside interventions. All civil wars invite outside intervention. It's not a great discovery. but. <coughs> How did the war end and why? And perhaps what are the lessons of the war? Well, at least here history raises a big question, that of the difference between memory and history. Are they the same? Is memory the same as, as history? I mean, <clears throat> the, best, the best job you can get now is to make an NGO in Lebanon about memory. That disappeared, fantastic. But I mean, and, and the question of memory is collecting material mainly about violence, fine. But I mean, you never, you never stop يعني, uh, collecting material about violence. I mean, you have يعني, 15 years of يعني, incidents of battles, etc. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know to what extent, I mean, this idea that knowing violence would stop wars, at least history uh, discovers much more serious uh, radical reasons to make wars than uh, the absence of uh, knowledge about what happened in the other war. And, uh, <coughs> whatever. Well, we do live under a regime of amnesia where the war, the war very little talk about the war and the war <coughs> is looked upon as uh, according to the famous and a formula of the late Saint-Wayne, <coughs> la guerre des autres or la guerre pour les autres. So my question is, why would 120,000 Lebanese kill each other or be dead, you know, kill each other, to serve the others? I mean, there should be reasons, there should be causes at least. Uh, <coughs> the other thing, the other thing, so I mean, I, I, I do make a big distinction between uh, memory and, and history. History serves memory, but memory does not necessarily uh, produce uh, history, at least in the case we are uh, uh, discussing. So, <coughs> one other thing is that war is looked upon as if it is a period of conflict between two sects, let's say. Well, there is a phase of this war which is the 8290 or 89 period where <coughs> there was very little wars between the initial protagonists but the wars were inside each sect for the military control of the sect so <coughs> not only the sects were being reproduced during the war but something new was happening is that the pretense that the sect should have one unique leader. And that created two mini-civil wars within the war 
among the Shiite population and the Christian population where I think uh, most of the victims of the war fell during that period. And this is what would bring the Christians semi-defeated to the solution after the uh, uh, <coughs> strong fighting between General Michel Aoun, the, his army, and the Lebanese uh, forces. So anyway, <coughs> the, the, idea, the idea here is to emphasize that <coughs> it's not enough to make a register of the violence. Violence in itself does not, uh, uh, is not a guarantee, knowing the horrors of the war is not in itself alone a guarantee that the war will not be repeated. At least <coughs> wars have some logic, Special war, civil wars are a very difficult topic I mean, I teach civil war in Lebanon for the, I've been teaching it for the past 10 years. Most of the uh, material you'd find would be material on classical works, very little theoretical production on civil wars. Now I want to uh, conclude with this, of course, very difficult question, very difficult challenge, which is sects and classes. Is Lebanon yani, different from the rest of the world? Because this is a country where people are not divided according to their incomes, their, uh, uh, <coughs> their fortunes, whether they <coughs> own means of production or not, whether they, uh, they are wage laborers, rentiers, etc. If you, if you yani, live in Lebanon, you have the <coughs> absolute conviction that Lebanon is an exception. I mean, I was, I was asked to give in a sociology cafe run by uh, the sociology department of the uh, AUB a talk about which I, I, I mean cynically uh, entitled Do Classes Exist in Lebanon? And uh, of course the idea was a pun to say that yani, of course they do, but I mean all I said was to talk about the class structure. The two major newspapers in the country wrote that yani, I said the classes don't exist in Lebanon, there is yani, sects. So which gave me the occasion to send long yani, uh, <coughs> whatever you call them, long corrections to them and really yani, publish a semi-article in, uh, in each. The, the, I mean, I think history has, which I think history has taught me, if you look historically at sects, there are plenty of things to say. First, definitely they're not, <coughs> I mean, they're not essences. They are reconstructed and constructed on the basis of uh, <coughs> particular societal uh, and political uh, events. And this is why nobody is going to convince me that now Syria has discovered that it has uh, sects uh, <coughs> uh, or that any sects in Lebanon existed as political institutions since the since and the time of the Phoenicians. Uh, second, and perhaps more important, uh, <coughs> is that 
<coughs> in uh, sect, sectarianism and sects cannot be understood, as far as I'm concerned, without reference to inequalities which are, if you want, outside what is usually called class inequalities. Sects treat inequalities within the division of labor or the access to a government post in Lebanon. Uh, <coughs> sectarianism as, as a network of uh, of uh, uh, patronage caters for social promotion outside the real levers of economic social promotion. Sectarianism is greatly enmeshed with the uh, inequalities in the regional, regional distribution of wealth and of power. Sectarianism is definitely linked uh, or based to inequalities in the provision of services of the state or, or of the access to natural resources. And finally, uh, the sectarian system which works through the state, <coughs> uh, influences social distribution. I mean, if the, the, in, in, the, in a very similar way, one can say the Lebanese state works in, with two, two mechanisms. One reproduces sectarian inequalities or sectarian uh, privileges uh, for the few, for, for some and, and inequalities for others, in the same sense as it reproduces the class structure. Uh, that's the function of the state. And those, those inequalities related to sectarianism, uh, I would still say, are the small inequalities within the greater yani, class inequalities. And not only that, they are used to and simply, simply uh, uh, cover up those other inequalities. I also happen to have ventured to teach a course on classes in the, uh, at AUB, and the, when I posed the question to, the, to my students, who are the rich people in Lebanon, all of them said the politicians. So I needed to bring to them uh, statistics about yani, how five uh, families of bank owners make some yani, billion uh, dollar profit. It's <coughs> alright. Some some uh, <coughs> billion billion dollars profit per year for them to realize that there are other rich people yani, than the politicians, and some politicians are not rich. Uh, anyway, I mean, <clears throat> I'm just throwing, throwing uh, uh, ideas. Uh, I, I <clears throat> this, is, this is a very sketchy attempt, but this is an attempt at least, at least to say that the religious dimension also goes up and down within those creatures that we call sects. And it definitely, definitely, Maxim Rodanso had a very interesting way of saying. He said, sects, the borders of sects 
are defined uh, religiously, but not necessarily يعني, the sects in politics. Now, one thing that has become very يعني, uh, <coughs> important in Lebanon is that religion has become the major uh, component in the uh, mobilization and solidarity of the sect, which is a, a post-war uh, phenomenon, uh, to my mind, very dangerous in itself, but at least which shows that <coughs> uh, what, what we're talking about are transient uh, creatures, historical uh, factors which which can be which can be يعني, weakened, which can be uh, at times even changed. And on this, I thank you very much. As you can tell, Fawaz has left us with so many questions and very few answers. Um, and that's probably uh, the way to go. I mean, he, he, he has basically uh, raised many questions, critical questions about the history of Lebanon, how to write the history of Lebanon, and uh, where do we go from here. We have plenty of time. We have about uh, 45 minutes. So we'll take four questions in every round, and then uh, we try to be as precise as possible. So we'll take as, as hopefully as many questions. Please, no commentaries. Uh, please, so we can take as many questions as possible. Please. Yes. You like? Oh, can I have you? Can I? Would you kindly help? Thank you. My name is um, Darin Lhaj. I have two questions. First one, there's this idea of... Um, that there are three big religious groups in Lebanon, which is Christians, Shia, and Sunni, and that throughout history, the dynamic between those three groups is to ally uh, against the third one. I was wondering whether through your examination of the history of Lebanon, um, if you were able to detect such a pattern or not. And what is the pattern? Sorry. The pattern is like there are three religious groups in Lebanon um, and throughout history two would ally against the third one and then they would alternate throughout history. So I was wondering whether there is a pattern in your book that would reflect that or not. And the second one is you have mentioned that history is also about causality. So if we want to do a kind of a forward like two years from now, 20 years from now, what do you think the features that would be lost by Lebanon? Like what, what features Lebanon would lose in 20 years from now? Hi, thank you. Yusuf Sharif, King's College, London. Uh, the first question, I have two questions, sorry. Yeah. The first question is, um, uh, if the Syrian regime falls, do you think the history of Lebanon will be rewritten again through the data that will come out from the Syrian regime? And the second question, you spoke about how before the war we were talking about um, social issues and then it became a sectarian war, or at least that's the common view. This is a little bit similar to the Arab Spring now. We were talking about social issues and now it's religion or sects fighting. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. It's Lynn Hashem from SOAS. 
my question is basically about the personal status codes in Lebanon, which are probably the major site of intersection between sex and sect, gender and sect. So uh, this is how citizenship is constructed through personal codes, mainly through, through the axes of gender and sect, and this is why different types of citizenships exist. Uh, so my question is this legal history of Lebanon, since you mentioned different kinds <coughs> Uh, of histories uh, of Lebanon. Precisely this legal history, how is it impacted by economic, religious, and political elites, and precisely by French colonialism? No, uh, on the legal, uh, legal, the legal history of Lebanon and precisely personal status codes. How was it before French colonialism, after, and precisely under the impact of elites in Lebanon? Thank you. Hello, Doctor. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned uh, during the uh, 1964 to 70, we moved from social to sects. How did it happen? Uh, concerning the idea that you have three sects in the history of Lebanon and usually two ally against one is a, is a myth because the three mentioned are important in the post-war. So this, this is a retrospection from the post-war on history, you know, a projection. Uh, <coughs> I mean, all I, I've been trying to, to say is... Uh, uh, show, show how uh, there is no uh, way to understand Lebanon if you accept to begin with that the major actors are sects in themselves. That is yani, a product of at best the fact that after the war each sect has one or two leaders, each major sect, which you can say that we have six or seven people who run the country. I mean, <clears throat> and they're the ones who are now discuss discussing how to yani, divide parliamentary seats among them. But this is not the history of Lebanon. This is one phenomenon, which is the post-war uh, phenomenon. That's one, one thing. What would Lebanon lose in how, man how much time? I said, I said, I said, history is about causality. I said, I did say it was about prophecy, but I can, I, no, I, mean, come on. I can, I can, without being very pessimistic, but I think, and uh, the Lebanon, I mean, also, also, because there is no continuity, uh, of course, one illusion in Lebanon is that you make a war. I mean, there's something the I don't know what it is in, in, in Arab, in, in English. But, I mean, there's a belief that you make a war, after the war ends, the best yani, situation uh, comes back to you. After you make a war, you spend decades, you, you sacrifice uh, uh, a country, you sacrifice generations, and you spend decades paying the price of the war. So, uh, your question is valid in the sense that I think Lebanon has already lost 
a lot. Some of it, some of it has nothing to do with its people. For example, يعني the, the, <coughs> the Lebanon we know was a construct, not in the uh, intellectuals, was the real construction of a, of a mainly economic role which survived as an intermediary role between يعني, the 40s and the 70s. Uh, <coughs> it was a يعني, liberal, uh, globalized economy. That was an economy which is based on uh, <coughs> trade services, finance. In fact, during, during the discussions when the Lebanese, decide, Lebanese government decided to secede from the economic unity uh, which the French had created, think, I mean, the independent Lebanon and the independent Syria were, were one economic unit. And it's the elites of both countries that broke it. But during that debate, there's a famous journalist called George Naash, who was telling the, the, the Syrians, you have a dirigist economy, you want the intervention of the state. At that time, it was to, to back, uh, uh, to, to, to defend the nascent industry. So he told them, we are, nous sommes mondialisés. Lebanon is globalized. So, I mean, that, that uh, role actually was lost partially and is being lost uh, progressively because of changes in the region, very little to do with the Lebanese. I mean, the, 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 the flow of capital that came to Lebanon either to be uh, left there or to be invested abroad now goes directly to the يعني, uh, different uh, Western metropoles. It doesn't need the Lebanese intermediary. And you have, of course, huge, huge يعني, uh, shift in, in those roles. You have uh, Dubai. يعني, Mr. Rafir Hariri, the late Rafir Hariri, had this idea of making Lebanon Dubai number two. It seems that when you have Dubai number one, you don't spend your time proliferating Dubais. Uh, but just to give you an idea about the inversion of roles. So that's one question. Now, if the Syrian regime falls, would we write uh, Lebanese history differently? No, I don't think so. First, first, and I'm not sure the Syrian regime is going to fall in that sense, and thanks to Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the United States, not to speak of any Britain. Uh, <coughs> But more importantly, I, don't, uh, I mean, the, <coughs> there is a period uh, of Syrian intervention in Lebanon, uh, of course, which has not been uh, well, well documented. It should be documented, it should be worked. I mean, the Lebanon of post-Taif should have its history. But we're still too close to it. I mean, I'm always asked, why don't you write a continuation of the book, and I say it's still too early, and it's still, uh, we, we, we lack a lot of the material uh, needed, mainly, mainly material related to uh, the Syrian uh, role. But I don't think you need to rewrite the history of Lebanon. You would, you would enrich parts of this history, you would, you would add to it. Uh, <coughs> now, 
اثنين legal history if you're talking about يعني, the personal statuses it's a long story but I'll, I'll, I'll put it in short uh, <coughs> the, the main legal, legalization of sects happened in 1936 despite the fact that those sects existed in the uh, <coughs> in the 1926 constitution the 1926 constitution is a French third republic constitution in which the Lebanese legislators mainly Michel Shiha added three uh, articles one is article 9 which is the article concerning personal statuses article 10 which says that the state should defend private religious organ uh, education and article 95 which says that the <coughs> distribution of posts among the major sects in the post of government should be on a fair basis or on a just basis which doesn't mean anything uh, except except uh, in its application that meant according practically according to their weight among the population that's how and the, the Maronites being the larger sect became the uh, sect of the presidency now <clears throat> personal statuses number nine were never touched since then but in 1936 <clears throat> and that's one of the uh, funny things about uh, Lebanese history in 1936 the Muslims were afraid that they're going to become a minority in a Christian state and uh, because it was obvious that uh, and once the French 1936 is when Lebanon and Syria uh, signed an independence agreement with the uh, Front Populaire in, uh, in France uh, <coughs> the idea uh, the Republican High Commissioner in Lebanon said now that we're legiferating that uh, uh, political sectarianism is the rule in personal statuses, there should be a place for <coughs> a civil code for personal statuses. This is called an uh, Arete uh, Decree Number 16 uh, of the High Commissioner 1936. Now you can use this as a basis for the current demands, which exists since the 40s, by the way, uh, for uh, a civil law. Uh, uh, for personal statuses. The big problem is that many constitutional, if that's, uh, I think this is your question, the, 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 the many constitutional lawyers and experts would tell you <coughs> the, the, this, this uh, decree is part of the French uh, le legislations those French legislations which did not become Lebanese laws are not laws. Anyway, so just to... Uh, the, 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 the thing about this Article 9, which is rarely mentioned actually, is very strange because this article introduces God into the Constitution. Because the state, in, uh, as it says, in... Uh, doing its duty of reverence to the Almighty uh, should guarantee 
absolute freedom of religious belief and should uh, defend and protect personal status laws of the different sects. The idea is very interesting because <coughs> a, a text about an article which talks about absolute freedom has become uh, the imposition on the Lebanese to follow not only the personal statuses but to be defined in life, in, pol in public life according to uh, their, their uh, biological descent from the father. Okay. So that's very quickly uh, the story. Uh, uh, if you want, I mean, I would reduce it to two things. Uh, one, <coughs> aggravation in a country where your rights are defined according to your uh, belonging to a sect. <coughs> when social tensions aggravate, we have discovered they and they are not meant and not accepted, not read, not treated as social demands. The importance of this period, 64 to 74, is that there is not one sector of the Lebanese population which was not in the streets calling for some form of change. Not one sector that you can imagine. Yani. You can talk, I mean, I'll just give you an example. Uh, examples. You, you can talk about uh, villages that were owned by individuals in the south who were in rebellion. You can talk about Christian peasants in rebellion against the church claiming the right to land whose parents have been cultivating them for centuries. Huh? And continue to the whole range of, uh, of social demands. <coughs> For yani, uh, on top of it, daily uh, demonstrations of uh, students, all, all categories, teachers, all categories, and of course, a formidably strong trade union movement, which at that time had a whole program of social and economic reform. The first time that the trade union movement was unified was during those uh, days. <coughs> a very, a very upward mobile middle class, considering that it has the right of political representation, <coughs> all those were met by rejection, at times by arms, and two famous killings, one in a big uh, factory in Shiyah, the other, uh, the army uh, shooting at uh, tobacco, uh, tobacco uh, cultivators in the, in the uh, south. A political uh, yani permeability of the political system and 1972 elections in which not all this, nothing of, no trace of all that's happening 
infiltrated the Lebanese parliament. So and the, the idea is that you slip into from the social to the sectarian. At least that's one uh, hypothesis just presented to say, I mean, <coughs> let's try and find what happened. I mean, uh, it's just, it's just one possible, one working hypothesis, at least to fill in the gap of uh, the absence of any. Uh, and this idea that uh, uh, the Lebanese uh, uh, accepted to, to wage the war of the others or the conspiracy itself. Hello, thank you so much for, uh, for coming and giving this talk. I'm learning a lot, as I'm sure many people are here. Uh, you mentioned earlier that history, that history is transient, that history is about causality. Uh, and with Lebanese history, uh, I'm, I'm having my own challenges understanding Lebanese history, uh, as, as I'm sure we all are. But at any rate, uh, we... <laughs> When we look at Lebanese history, we have a number of incredibly complex, uh, complex considerations to keep in mind that uh, resurface and that occurred uh, in the study of Lebanese history. For instance, the, uh, for instance, sectarianism, mechanisms of patronage, uh, economics, uh, among among other competing themes. And how? Excuse you. How do we strike the balance between these competing or complementary theories and ideas while also accepting and acknowledging all the complexities and ambiguities that characterize uh, the study of people? Thank you, Dina Melhem. Um, I would like to ask questions about, you mentioned from 82 to 89, most of the killings happened within sex, intra-sex killings. And does, my question is mainly in the Christian and the Shia uh, sects. Does this have to do with the fact that they are minorities within the, the Arab region? And is this a phenomenon or a sort of you know, a trap that minorities fall into in war? Hello, um, I'm Algerian. Basically, I'm totally ignorant about the history of Lebanon. I, I was in Lebanon in 2005, and you can see the contrast between uh, the Christian side and the Muslim side. When you go to Junior, you see the streets are clean, you see the people are, the work, the system works. If you go, well, if you go to Sindelfil, for example, you can see the big contrast. My question is, the first one is, do you think if Lebanon is like 90% of Lebanese are Christians, do you think the war will actually happen in Lebanon? The second question, I believe in terms of history, language plays a great role. Um, you mentioned briefly about the Phoenician language. Basically, is there, um, is there any, any work done by linguists in Lebanon to revive the language, uh, Phoenician language? And knowing that a lot of Lebanese are met, they some of them they distance themselves from the Arab from the Arab word. They want to identify themselves as the Phoenicians. I thank you very much. Two more questions. We have. Yeah. 
Hi, Dr. Shabatsi. My question is about um, history in the national <laughs> curriculum in high schools in Lebanon. Yeah, it's about uh, history and national curriculum in Lebanon, in high schools. Do you think that it's possible to reconcile differing views into one textbook? And um, if so, how do you think that this can be done? Yes, uh, I would like to go back to the issue of uh, I mean, uh, on your experience of uh, uh, the social movements having started in, uh, in Lebanon uh, turning into sectarian. I would like to know from you uh, if that you find you see that a pattern uh, that could happen anywhere else. I think it was mentioned before that it uh, it can happen in, uh, elsewhere in the Arab world, and I'm particularly concerned with the situation in Egypt where. Uh, well, uh, the uprising started as social, and uh, the situation is very quickly deteriorating into, uh, I don't know, I mean, sectarian, it could go into, uh, up to sectarian. Do you see it would happen, it would happen in Egypt? Do you see a civil war coming to Egypt? But before I, 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 I want to take, thank you for the questions, and I, I know this is more of a speculative question. Uh, because one of the major points, and I know you talked about why did the Lebanese kill themselves between 1975 and 1990? What were the major causes? What were the drivers? And you also talked about the war started with a vision, with a particular ideological roadmap, <coughs> yet the war itself mutated after the first or two years. And my question to you, Fawaz, and I know this is uh, difficult too, we know that the Syrian revolution started as Hiraxiasi, political. We know the aspirations and we know the grievances of the Syrian revolution. Do you see, can you, are we seeing a mutation in the Syrian revolution? And this is really, I mean, we know what happens in the various phases. Can, you, can we make any comparison between what happened in Lebanon between 1975 and 1976 and in Syria between 2011 and 2012 and the present? First, obviously, obviously we need to work on, any, uh, let's say, rejuvenating uh, concepts and terms. For example, patronage uh, also shifts. And I would talk, uh, I mean, I talked about uh, the 82-92 period as a period where the mafia, where, where the militias were, were transformed into mafias in the, in the scientific sense and of imposing, of imposing by military and political force a rentier relationship with inside inside the sects and the the different militias now started pumping revenue from their own sects and from Krontabad etc activity etc that's a, and from hashish where all of them part, took part in the hashish uh, business which which uh, no, I'm, I'm talking about hashish we should talk about drugs because the, the I mean the war the war created created an opium uh, uh, cultivation and and the heroin uh, laboratories. But anyway, uh, now you have you, I mean we don't like to think about uh, sectarian parties, but the country is run 
on a party basis. I mean, seculars don't like them because they like uh, <coughs> a secular party. But uh, parties are very strong. We, I mean, the two major parties of the country are Hezbollah and the Haunis, the Tayyar al-Watani al-Hur, and those are very strong parties, and uh, not to speak of other ones. So uh, <coughs> uh, patronage, patronage, I think, has mutated, if you want to, into a, يعني, a, a much more elaborate mafia style and uh, is no more the personalized patronage that of, of the Zaim. There are no more, no more Zaims. We have, we have warlords who rule the country. I mean, the term is not the lord, but I mean warlords. In Arabic, it becomes emirs. Now, Dina, I think, I think, no, 82 to 88, they were fighting within the two major sects because the idea which was leaked from Bashir Jmail is that each sect should have one leader. And there was fighting between the different factions of the Lebanese forces on who should be that leader. And at the same time, uh, there was uh, bloodletting within the Shiite com community, which, started for, which lasted for years, between Amal and Hezbollah. Uh, it, the, the, the results were not conclusive in both senses. But I, I don't think it had much to do with the fact that they, they, were, med, they were the main uh, sects in the country. But uh, I don't think it was in, uh, highly relevant about, about the fact that they were uh, minorities themselves. Now for Algeria, <coughs> there are attempts to revive Phoenician language, but it's not very convincing for the Lebanese. And unfortunately, the Christians are 35% and not 90 now, history in textbook is a very good uh, topic, of course, within the 0.3 seconds that I have. I can only say this. One of the things that encouraged me to uh, write the history book is a contribution to this, to the idea that, يعني, of course, the Lebanese should have not one textbook, I think, that's too much يعني, French Jacobin style, uh, but, but يعني, should know more about their history and the way to do it uh, has nothing to do with the formal way in which the, uh, the textbooks were formed, which is to, to create uh, committees of the representative of the six major sects and, and uh, build accordingly, which means uh, that يعني, it's a permanent compromise on what you write. I mean, one way uh, the Lebanese should accept their history uh, as it is. I mean, all, all, all nations kill each other. I mean, they don't all put so much يعني, taboos on admitting struggle, uh, fighting, uh, wars, uh, but anyway, I mean, uh, this brings the idea of what is a historical fact and how do you put a minimum of chronology and facts uh, and how, how you deal with <coughs> history 
as a, 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 a irrespective, irrespective of يعني, the present. You don't project the present on uh, history. That's a difficult task, but it can be done. I, I believe it, can, it should be done by a variety of historical contributions, not necessarily on the basis of one textbook. Uh, the, the problem is that يعني, there is not much historical production being done now after the war. Plenty was done during the first years, but anyway. Now, <clears throat> the, two, the two questions are related. Social movements, can they degenerate or can they mutate uh, into civil wars and Fawaz about Syria? <coughs> Quickly, I would say Egypt is still far from civil wars for the simple reason, unless you have a different uh, interpretation, I mean, uh, definition. What I mean by civil wars is that in society you have two military uh, forces fighting for the control of the state, for uh, uh, <coughs> at least for imposing wills by military means. Uh, Egypt is still very far from it. We're still in the period of يعني, civilians battling with not even the army. And يعني, the solidity of the Egyptian army, as far as I'm concerned, is, is not yet put into question. <coughs> but in Syria, I think, I think يعني, the, the movement for change in Syria has produced and he, uh, has a military uh, civil aspect which we don't like to talk about uh, for two reasons. I mean, let me say it bluntly. There is a civil war in Syria in the sense that you have two military camps of Syrians killing each other. I mean, that you find a few Qaeda people who are from Chechenia or, or Pakistan or Yemen does not change the fact. I mean, Foreign intervention is, is nothing in civil wars. All civil wars attract fantastically uh, foreign intervention. So we're not talking. But in Syria, uh, the, the, way, the way civil wars are being now presented in, let's say, the Western media, or <coughs> among, among uh, the powers that that want uh, 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 what is called a political solution is to consider that both sides are in the wrong since they are using uh, military violence and uh, uh, obscuring it, let me say, the legitimacy of the demands of millions of uh, Syrians who wanted a real regime change. That's one aspect why the Syrian opposition doesn't like to use the term, which doesn't necessarily mean that we should يعني, refrain from using The other thing in Syria, to the difference of uh, <coughs> Egypt, where of course there might be uh, incidents of يعني, conflict between Copts and uh, Islamists, let's say. Uh, in Syria, if you say there is, this is a civil war, 
you're implying what exists but which is not dominant yet is that you know, the regime in its rests on one sect the, ma the majority of the opposition is Sunni uh, hence the idea that this is a sectarian war it's not yet that I mean there are there are massacres there are there are movements of population but <coughs> knowing how intricate the social fabric of Syria, uh, uh, we cannot say that the military uh, fighting runs along uh, sectarian lines, whereas in Lebanon, for example, which we talk, you could easily talk about this. Three more questions. On the round, please. <coughs> Hello, my name is Mandy Johnson. Uh, to what extent do you believe the fr colonial France contributed to the formation of uh, modern Lebanon? Um, I'm interested in your uh, last point in the lecture, which was about the intersection of sects and classes, and in the sense that uh, basically to do so would, would require us to, to study economic inequalities also and in how they intersect with sectarian dynamics. Um, as a Syrian, as someone who's looking closely at the Syrian revolution now, what are some of the lessons we can learn from Lebanon in that respect? <coughs> Um, good evening. Um, I'm Abhijit Malik. I'm originally from India and a student of international history here at the LSC. Uh, is the modern history of Lebanon, um, the international part of it, only about the West and the Arab-speaking world? Or were there interactions and influences from other parts of the world as well? And there's a question here. A young woman, please. I'm from King's College London. My question is about the reconstruction of uh, Beirut after the civil war. I'm thinking about uh, Solidaire and about uh, Dahye, reconstructed by Hezbollah. Do you think that this reconstruction, um, how has it affected the communal relations between Lebanon? And do you think that creating common spaces for our shared spaces between the Lebanese would exacerbate the conflict or maybe um, lead to reconciliation between the Lebanese people? Our question about sect and class. One of the most alarming points I think I, I, I got out of your talk is that you, you, you quoted, you cited Rodinson by saying that sects are only defined religiously on the margins. And yet, by the borders, it's marginally. But yet, you, what you did say that in fact now, they are fundamentally defined religiously in the sense what you're really implying is that has Lebanon become now more of a religious state? And, and, and one of your articles in the Safir you, you, you highlight is that what, what's really alarming to you is that we are witnessing the consolidation of a religious state in Lebanon. And this, what does it say then about class and sect in Lebanon? 
First, I should, I should thank all of you for very challenging and interesting questions. <coughs> so I need to come out uh, uh, more outside Lebanon to get uh, such, such challenges. Now, just before uh, I forget uh, to the uh, gentleman who spoke, uh, the Algerian gentleman, about his comparison between Christian and uh, <coughs> Uh, Muslim sectors of Beirut, but you want, I mean, you're making uh, comparisons between two incomparables. You went to Juni and you're, you went to Dahi. You didn't go to Sinilfil, you didn't go to Jdaidi, you didn't go to New Jdaidi. You did? Ah? Sorry? Yes, and, uh, and, and the Sinalville and Junior are not the same, no? No, I, I, I'm just saying that if you want to, I mean, Leba, Beirut has uh, uh, the suburbs of Beirut uh, uh, exist uh, uh, all around Beirut. And uh, they're Christian, Sunni, and uh, Shiite. Now, it's become a tradition to talk about the southern uh, suburb as Ad-Dahi, as the suburb. Uh, we have many suburbs. Uh, <clears throat> I, I can't safely say that uh, the uh, situation of the mass of Christians is better than the situation of the mass of Muslims in Lebanon. And definitely, definitely, Juni does not represent uh, uh, the real, the real uh, uh, no, I mean the real uh, consumer uh, and uh, and rich and wealth that is that is deployed all over the country. I mean, it used to uh, at one part of the world, but not not anymore. Anyway, uh, <coughs> what what do we have? Yeah, I mean that's that's also a trend. Uh, definitely, definitely by export, by not exporting what is now called colonial modernity. At least colonial modernity did not make a, a, a nation state. It did not create a Jacobin state. Uh, it definitely, definitely based itself on a vision of the world which cons considers the people of the East as sects. And that was manipulated because by creating uh, Greater Lebanon, the, the French uh, discovered that they had a vision for the region that Lebanon was Christian. But by creating Greater Lebanon, uh, Lebanon was no more Christian. Hence, and it, the, the, uh, the use of... Uh, of uh, the famous definition of uh, of Lebanon as uh, by parliaments as uh, a country of uh, religious minorities. So the biggest minority happened to have been the Maronites. It was given the privilege of representing both Lebanon and the Christians. So just one, I mean, the, the period of French colonialism was not that long. Uh, it was mandatory. Uh, they were very uh, disturbed about uh, the way they created uh, 
uh, this big entity. Uh, but I mean, the real problem for the French was Syria. What to do with Syria? And I should remind you, I mean, the the this the, the, uh, I mean, the vision for the creation of the region of of Syria was that it should represent the five sects that the French pretended to uh, defend, uh, which is Shiites, uh, uh, Alawites, Druze, uh, Christians, sorry, four. Uh, and they created in Syria, as you know, one state for the Alawites, one state for the Druze. The problem about southern Lebanon and create, creating one state uh, for the Shiites was posed, but uh, <clears throat> never implemented. All those who said Lebanon is too big, too many uh, Muslims in it, uh, <clears throat> in, that same, in that same memorandum I, I mentioned of Emil Eddi, he did, he did say that uh, the, the south, the, the Jabal Amr region, should become yani, uh, an autonomous zone related to Syria. So that Lebanon would, would, would become 80% uh, Christian. Uh, apart from that, they did an interesting things in the sense that they united the whole Syria economically. Our, our national heroes uh, broke, broke the, the, the unity. Now, uh, reconstruction of Beirut, I'll, I'll, I'll go uh, at the end to the, the Syrian uh, lessons. The reconstruction of, Be of Beirut was based on, the, on two assumptions which did not work perfectly. But, I mean, the first, the first uh, is this idea that <coughs> Lebanon, Beirut was the uh, hub of Lebanon's prosperity. If we reconstruct it, we can reconstruct this prosperity. Uh, <coughs> this, this is the idea behind Rafiq al-Hariri's plan to build a two million square meter of office space in what is called downtown. Uh, of course, it was built on, on a wrong political uh, assumption, which is that there is going to be peace, Arab-Israeli peace is coming, Lebanon needs a share of the uh, uh, how shall I put it, of the uh, dividends of the, of the peace, and that's how, that's how we do it by, by, uh, uh, by this. Of course, the peace did not come. The other thing, the other thing this reconstruction, uh, in fact, uh, increased the divisions, the social divisions, rather than create communal spaces. I mean, you don't create communal spaces by... Uh, uh, considering that one tiny bit of uh, uh, of the country uh, uh, should should I mean should invest in it that much uh, at the expense of uh, of others, so uh, I wouldn't consider that and the end result of the reconstruction as related to bringing people together uh, was a great success. I mean. Uh, of course, of course, what was not reconstructed were the damage in the human element and the relations between people, and that is something which 
is is not within the the real interests of uh, of the reconstructors. Now, I believe plenty of lessons for the Syrian opposition for the Syrian people can be taken from the Lebanese experience in more than one way. Uh, if you if you disregard a bit, yani the idea of uh, each revolution says we are we are particular nothing nothing. I mean we heard this from the Iraqis. We are not like Lebanon. There is no sectarian. We have always lived together. I mean, if you go beyond that uh, hypocrisy, uh, first, first, uh, the, the Syrian opposition is in denial about sectarianism. Whereas, I think, sectarianism should be admitted to get rid of it. Uh, and you don't get rid of it the Lebanese way, no. You don't abolish it. You create institutions, processes to يعني, uh, uh, the accumulation of it, of which would move you to a more uh, a society more based on equality. So that's one. The other thing is exactly the transformation of a movement of change into a, social, uh, a civil war. I think this is happening in Syria. And I mentioned why I don't think it should, I mean, why it's not, it's not very appropriate to call it a civil war because of the, of the uh, meanings allotted to civil war. But <clears throat> and the, the drastic thing about a social political movement requiring basically a new relationship between ruled and rulers on a democratic basis. Let's say this is how the, the mass movement of Syrian uh, uh, opposition did. Now, now is being يعني, uh, internationalized. And يعني, I have no illusions <coughs> what, what uh, يعني, scenario, what scheme is there. I mean, it's, it's all the, the يعني, let me put it in a, in a more positive way. I think a lot of the Lebanese and Yemeni experiences are there to be applied to Syria. And I would advise, and I've done that, the Syrian opposition to study them well. First, يعني, how you can simply siphon out anything that is young, youthful, valid in a revolution and transform it into يعني, a, a reconstruction of the same regime minus a few individuals or a few institutions. That's the Yemeni uh, thing, where, where يعني, the, the president leaves but is still the most influential man in the country. His uh, uh, vice president becomes acclaimed unanimously as uh, 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 in elections as a president and so on uh, and the lebanese experience where where يعني, the issue of reconstituting a regime in syria on a blatant sectarian basis where the question becomes there is a alawi uh, president how do we reduce his prerogatives to the uh, <clears throat> benefit of a Sunni prime minister, 
This is, this is not a logic I'm inventing. This is what people are talking about. And the question is, how do you, what answers does the uh, uh, Syrian opposition have to, uh, to those? So I, I would say, I mean, uh, without any pretentious modesty, that the, the, the uh, uh, rejection of larger parts of the Syrian opposition to, uh, to, to recognize, uh, I mean, the, uh, let's, call, let's call it the state of denial of the sectarian uh, question by saying it's not in our traditions or by saying, look, I mean, we have George Sabra, where Christians are represented, and we have, uh, uh, I don't know, Samar Yazbek, the Alawis are there, uh, Kurds, a few Kurds are here and there, we had some. Whereas, uh, yani this, the, the complexity of a situation which is even 100 times worse than Lebanon uh, needs very complex, uh, not complicated, but complex answers. How, how do we deal with the, the Kurds? I mean, uh, from the beginning, uh, at least I felt, there was a, a great uh, uh, uninterest, uh, nationalist answers, telling them it's not time for you, we'll talk about it after the victory of the revolution. What is this Western Kurdistan you're talking about? I don't think, I don't think yani, the, the opposition, the Arab opposition, uh, uh, was very successful in, uh, in getting in, uh, the, 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 the Kurds into, into the revolutionary process until now they've become a de facto factor in Western Kurdistan saying we're there, we're armed. Bashar al-Assad even gave us the license to take over parts of the, uh, of the country. <coughs> until, until you start talking business, we're here and we, we, we participate. I don't want to say more. I think that's uh, more in, than enough from a comradely and, and a solidarity position as is well known.